today on Ag News Daily. There's a lot of people who say, well, yeah, well, if we're, you know, digging up wheat and we're planting corn instead, you know, we could see even bigger acres than what the industry is talking about. So we don't know. That's just still the big question mark. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, you are joining us today live from your closet underneath a blanket because you have no furniture left in your apartment. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a struggle today, riding the struggle bus, but hopefully we'll get everything done and figured out here, share some great news. I'm sure that if anybody saw me right now, they would uh, think I'm a little crazy, but anything to get the job done. That's right. You have true dedication to the podcast today. Absolutely. Absolutely, Delaney. But uh, I'm uh, really excited to be talking to you today. I mean, there's not a whole lot of news going on, at least for me. So what do you got for us today? Yeah, I'd have to agree. It's a little slower today, but we are going to have, I guess, not really a shortened week. Markets aren't necessarily closing early on Friday, but next Monday we'll be off for Memorial Day weekend. So we've got a lot of excitement, I suppose, of folks getting ready to head into a three-day weekend. But this piece of news came out just at the end of Friday afternoon of last week. So it's a little bit of quote-unquote old news, if you will. But uh, like I said, it was kind of a news dump on Friday afternoon and this piece of news came out. But JBS, the world's largest meat packer, has officially left the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is a quote-unquote surprise move that comes as the group began taking a harder line on concerns about market consolidation. A spokesperson for NCBA told AgriPulse that JBS was no longer a member of the organization and they're already taken off of NCBA's online roster of product council members. And there are still out of the big four packers, Tyson, Cargill, and National Beef are still listed, but uh, they didn't really give us entirely a reason why that they decided to back out of NCBA, but basically just said, quote, suspend our dues as part of our annual review process to determine the benefit and effectiveness of our trade association investments as to the reason why they've decided to back out at this point in time. So like I said, we don't really have a true reason here, but uh, JBS just said basically they have taken no position on any of the proposals offered by producers or Congress, as we believe any changes to how cattle are marketed or sold in the U.S. should be determined solely by producers. So kind of taking a non-stance here, but I think really this move stems from a lot of angry producers who have said that they're dealing with unfairly low cattle prices while consumers are paying near record prices for beef and steak. So I think this is all just part of hashtag fair cattle markets uh, campaign, if you will. Interesting, Delaney. I, uh, I'm very surprised, I guess, by that. Um, I don't really know what to say to that, but um, just talking a little bit more here about the weather that we have been seeing A American Farm Bureau economist says that parts of the U.S. face record poor pasture and rangeland conditions from this ongoing drought. Michael Nephew tells Brownfield Ag News that producers 
haven't faced a situation like this since data collection started in 1995. And honestly, it doesn't look like it's shaping out to be too good of a year for these livestock producers who have already had a pretty tough year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But USDA data shows that 43% of the country has poor to very poor conditions compared to the five-year average of only 15%, which is honestly quite a big jump. NEPVIEW says that producers have limited options and added that we're already looking at corn and bean prices driving feed costs through the roof. And he said that usually or sometimes as a result of that, you'll see animals pull back on pasture a little longer or on stalker operations. But that's going to be an option that might not be there depending on where they're at in the country. Data also shows that 25% of pasture and rangeland is rated good to excellent compared to the five-year average of 56%. So that's down almost half or, you know, over half, actually. And parts of Nebraska, Iowa, and South Dakota are facing poorer than average conditions. And another issue this summer, of course, will be hay prices, which I believe we've already talked a little bit about on the podcast, Delaney. But honestly, mm-hmm. the majority of the country is not experiencing good weather right now with this drought. Um, And so it's going to be really tough, I think, for livestock producers, especially heading out into the summer. But we haven't seen too hot of days, at least down here in Texas. We haven't been experiencing super hot days like we normally do in May. I read um, something on Twitter today from, from a forecaster saying that in the near future, at least throughout May, that we're not going to see, you know, many days over 90 degrees, which honestly is a little bit surprising to me. So even though we're not seeing as much rain as, you know, we might want to right now in parts of the country, we're still not experiencing super hot days. So I guess that's a good takeaway that we can consider. Yeah, I would echo that too, Ashton. I was reading through some, uh, Ag meteorology forecasts this morning, both from Bam X and Eric Snodgrass, two separate entities, obviously, but they're also indicating some chillier, chillier temperatures here moving forward across parts of the Corn Belt. But we actually have been seeing a little bit of rain in some key growing areas. We saw wheat futures fall a little bit today, dipping to some one lows here on the prospects of a bumper winter wheat crop. We are, of course, now on our annual tour of the Kansas wheat tour, wheat fields here. And it sounds like they're putting out expectations that yields could be pretty favorable in some of these parts of key winter wheat growing areas, especially in Kansas. So we've got that going on the one hand. The other interesting piece of news here, I think that ties in nicely to this story as well, Ashton, is that some wheat farmers are actually considering planting corn or shifting to corn. Uh, One North Dakota farmer took to Twitter over the weekend, Paul Anderson, saying that this will be the first time in his 30-year career and the first in his dad's 60-year farming career that they will not be harvesting a wheat crop. They decided today to euthanize their wheat and actually start to plant corn. So we'll have to get Naomi Bloom's take on this here in just a moment, see what she's hearing from folks. But yeah, of course, as a little, this is kind of anecdotal, but it does sound like some producers are feeling the pinch so much so in wheat country 
due to drought in parts of the country and lots of rain in the other where they just don't feel like they can be profitable this year and are considering potentially moving to some corn acres, which could put push a little bit of a supply pinch or excuse me, push a price pinch on the corn market. So I don't know how this dynamic is going to play out, but it's going to be an interesting one. And we'll discuss it here with Naomi Bloom coming up in just a moment. Well, Delaney, I just have one other story today coming out of Thailand, which is a part of the world that we don't really talk about a whole lot. But the country has ordered strict controls on the movement of on the movement of cattle and buffaloes after an outbreak of a virus that causes lumps to form on the animal skin and can reduce milk production. I don't know what the disease is called right now. There wasn't a name that I could really find. But this rarely fatal disease, which doesn't affect people and is thought to be spread by flies or mosquitoes, is new in Thailand and has already infected more than 6,700 cows and buffaloes in 35 provinces across the country. It was said that the prime minister is concerned about the smuggling of cattle and buffaloes from neighboring countries, which is an important factor in the spread of the disease, as well as an unsanctioned domestic movement. It was also said that animals can only be moved when it is necessary under the guidelines of the Department of Livestock Development. According to official livestock registration data, there are 6.2 million beef cattle, 707,000 dairy cattle, and 1.2 million buffaloes around Thailand. So this could really affect their you know, livestock market if people aren't taking this sanction seriously. And we could see, of course, then a shift in global supply and demand. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on, Ashton. I have just one other quick piece of news here. As we continue to see infrastructure debate continue in Washington, D.C., we've got a new bipartisan bill that the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee on Wednesday will mark up, which could increase funding by at least a third over the next five years. Now, this infrastructure bill is specifically designed to look at highways and public roads and bridges. But uh, this is just one of many infrastructure bills that I'm sure will be debated here under this administration. But the Surface Transportation Reauthorization Act of 2021 sets basically a new baseline funding level at a historic high of $303 billion for the Transportation Department programs for things like highways, roads, and bridges, and will be a 34% increase compared to the last infrastructure bill dealing specifically with uh, highways, roads, and bridges that was passed back in 2015. So we'll see how that markup goes on Wednesday. But like I said, just one of many infrastructure bills that are anticipated to be brought forward here under the Biden administration. But at least good news, because I know there are a lot of rural rural roads and bridges and uh, surfaces that are not really in prime condition. That makes it pretty tough when you're out there hauling grain or livestock. So hopefully we see some, uh, we see some headway on this bill. And more specifically, I really do hope that it gets earmarked at least partially for rural infrastructure development, because I think those are the areas that suffer the most, but we'll continue to watch that and see how things move forward here. Well, Delaney, like I said, a bit of a slow news day from what I saw. So I'm all out of news if you're ready to hop into the markets. I think I certainly am as well, Ashton. And we saw markets 
pretty much across the board in the red today, kicking things off here with the July corn contract down two and a quarter cent to close at 657 and a quarter. The Dece down six and a quarter cents to close at 540 and a quarter. Soybeans today lower pretty much across the board outside of new crop soybeans. With the July contract down three and a half cents today to close at 15.22 and three quarters. New crop up a penny and three quarters to close at 13.62 and a quarter. Chicago wheat pulling back hard today as the July contract shed 12 cents to close at 6.62 and a quarter. The September down 11 and a quarter to close at 6.65 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, we saw live cattle pull back today. And Naomi will hop into that a little bit more in depth here to come, so I won't steal her thunder. But June live cattle down 92.5 cents to close at 116.75. The August down 82.5 cents to close at 120.10. Feeder cattle had some mixed trading today with the May contract down 95 cents to close at 136.27.5. The August up 42.5 cents to close at 154.12.5. And, and hopping over to take a look at the lean hog markets, June down 87.5 half cents today to close at 113.35 the july down a dollar 22 and a half to close at 115.32 and a half and wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures the weakness continued into the dairy parlor today as the june contract shed 60 cents to close at 17.53 the july down three quarters to close at 18.15 without further ado let's kick it over to our hashtag market monday conversation with naomi bloom Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday discussion, as promised, we've got the wonderful Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome, Delaney. Thanks for having me. Naomi, I want to start out here talking a little bit about the weather because, you know, if we would have had this discussion maybe even a month ago, it would have been maybe a completely different one where folks were worried about having some pretty dry season, a pretty dry season ahead of them, but we've started to get some rain in key parts of the Corn Belt. What does the weather discussion become from here? Are we still concerned about having a dry season? I know parts of the Northwest, Pacific Northwest are still pretty dry, but as far as the Corn Belt, do we have any weather premium left here? Um, I would say that it's twofold yet. Right now, the thought is that rain makes grain, and a lot of the parched soils that needed the rain so badly receive something. So it's enough to get this crop out of the ground. And so for producers, that's a sigh of relief, and that's good news. I think that you're going to see the drought monitor index not really get fixed, though, because of this rain event that's come through. And and we've been told by clients that the subsoil is just, you know, still depleted underneath. And so we need to have continued timely rains for the next two to three months to make sure that this crop is the best that it can be. Because if it's not, there is truly no room for error. And we are going to be trading every single weather forecast. And if the rain at all starts to turn off while the heat starts to increase, the market's going to jump on that quick just because of how tight the ending stocks are for the old crop potentially. And Naomi, I know we discussed this a little bit before the podcast 
started recording today, but starting to hear some rumors and trickles on social media of wheat farmers potentially turning some of those acres into corn acres. And I know that's, again, a rumor. We don't necessarily have a ton of people that have come forth and said this, but what's that going to do for the corn balance sheet if we do see a lot of acres transitioning from wheat into corn? Um, You're right. Definitely rumors for now. We have not heard specifically of a lot of clients who have done that, but it is an industry rumor at the moment. So the question with corn and, and why corn has had this setback is because we're, we're sitting in this marketplace where we're really not sure where the new crop planted acres are or aren't. And so right now the USDA has it pegged at 91.1. I think the industry thinks it's probably going to end up closer to 93 million acres but of course, there's been those rumors and rumblings of 96 million acres, which uh, would be out of the norm for the USDA to make a, such a big jump like that. And I went back and looked at 17 years of data. And what I noticed is that when you look at the March planted report and go into the June report for the planted acres, um, any time that you're looking for an increase of acres, it's happened. But 12 out of the 17 years when there was an increase, the average increase was 1.125 million acres from the March report into the June report. There were two years where there was a 2 million acre increase and one year where there was a 2.4 million acre increase. And that was the biggest one going back 17 years. And so there's a lot of people who say, well, yeah, well, if we're you know digging up wheat and we're planting corn instead, you know, we could see even bigger acres than what the industry is talking about. So we don't know. That's just still the big question mark that's out there. I think you can definitely plan on more corn acres, but how big is the question? That's what we have to prepare for as an industry, because if it is 92 to 93 million acres, well, we still don't have any room for weather era the summer. But if it ends up being 96 million acres, then there's plenty of room to um, deal with any weather issues that come along throughout the summer months. Now, Naomi, I want to take things international here and go down to South America and talk more specifically about the Brazilian second safrina corn crop, because we're seeing some numbers being cut again, production numbers, that is. So what are you hearing from down there? Uh, right now, the industry is assuming that the corn crop is closer to 91 million tons, and that would be down 10 million tons from the most recent USDA report. Now that's overall all of their corn crop, first and second crop corn. Now the biggest thing to remember though with that is that the Brazilian crop usually gets harvested in the late summer before our U.S. crop becomes available and it usually fills that little bit of a niche where you know the South, the American crop is ready yet to the world marketplace. So the more that that crop gets smaller, of course that makes the world ending stocks get smaller and just puts the perception out there that, um, you know, we can't have any weather issues than here in the United States either. And there's um, always, you know, the, the risk that, you know, does China turn around and, and turn their energy and their attention to the South American market? But maybe because that Brazil crop is smaller than expected, that's why China bought 425 million bushels of corn from the United States over the last two weeks. You know, it really is not normal for China to be buying corn from the United States in the month of May. To me, that tells me something 
that they think that maybe our crop isn't going to be there or the global supplies are smaller than what is being let on. Or again, China, maybe not going to be having the greatest crop this year. So they're trying to buy a little earlier on this pullback that the market has had recently. So that's, I think, the biggest takeaway for me is that the global crop is looking like it's getting smaller and the demand is still strong. So that for the biggest part, that should keep prices supported for now. Naomi, I want to dig into that a little bit further because I think that's the biggest question on my mind too is China has been continuing to buy. They're buying more than usual, yet we've seen prices sag a little bit even into today. What what size of a purchase or what's it going to take here to see things turn around? I mean, why haven't we seen markets reacting more to China stepping in and purchasing here? Um, it, it's Part of it is that the market, in a sense, has been expecting it to happen. Uh, they're big purchases, though. I mean, big purchases all within two weeks. Uh, the bottom line, though, is that what they have bought is about one-sixth of the total of new crop corn expected to be used for export for next year's crop marketing year. So the market, I think, is saying, okay, well, good. The demand is there. We're, we're going to be on target for USDA projections, um, but so far it's not above and beyond what the industry maybe was thinking. But I just can't help but shake the fact that, you know, China is complaining so much about the price of commodity prices being high. So over the last two weeks, most commodities have fallen and have seen a price setback and China came in and bought corn on the break. So that's, it's always, you know, you have to balance what China says along with China does and right now, what they're doing is buying. So that tells me they have a need. Absolutely. And I think we focus a lot of our attention so far on the corn market and sorghum as well. But from a soybean export perspective, it hasn't really appeared like there's been a lot of headline news as to China purchasing soybeans or soybean meal from the United States. What's going on there? They obviously need to continue to rebuild their hog herd, but are they buying from South America? I think they have been buying from South America. And so what they're doing with soybeans in terms of not buying from us, what is normal for this time of year. Usually China does their bigger purchases from the United States in the fall at harvest when prices are cheaper. So maybe is is China waiting to see if, you know, how big our crop is going to be? Are they expecting South America to plant more acres and, and then be able to meet those needs? But the other part to remember is that everything that China had bought from the United States back in the fall has pretty much been shipped and delivered. So for right now, their needs are met for the beans. I think until, um, yeah, and now they have the South American harvest coming their way as well. So remember with the, the soybeans that are grown in the world, you know, a third of it pretty much grown in the United States and then about half is grown in South America. And so China can get beans year round easily with good supplies from the United States and from Brazil and Argentina. Absolutely. Uh, Naomi, I wanted to also ask here, we're watching, we're watching future spreads here. We've seen the July versus the August widen here by about 60 cents. Uh, what's that telling you about the markets here? Um, so July right now for July beans are at 15, 22 and three quarters. August has kind of simmered down. It's at 1471. So 
to me, it says that the market still is need of, of July product. Um, but then there's hope that maybe um, maybe some harvested um, acres come off down in the south soon. This is also that time of year where we start to hear of the southeast portion of the United States importing soybeans from South America. So maybe some of those needs are met as well. But yeah, it is important to take a look at those spreads and what the market is telling you. There's also, you know, we've been in a bull market and seen a lot of bull spreads for months. And so we're seeing some profit taking on those as well. Naomi, so I got to ask just simply here, are you still bullish corn and soybeans and wheat moving forward? I am definitely still friendly to these markets going forward. Um, right now, what we've seen is a nice correction on the charts. Dece corn sticking in its heels at a 61% correction. And the fact that the market was able to fill its breakaway gap lower than it had last night, corn came back up and filled that gap. So to me, that says that the market is really trying to find firm footing, finding good value at these levels. We don't know what the acres are, and that's not until June 30th. And that's, quite frankly, that's the last piece of this puzzle that needs to be known in addition to weather. We know the demand is good. We know that the USDA probably needs to tighten the old crop soybean numbers and the old crop uh, corn numbers in the June report. They won't do it aggressively because that's just their mojo. They never do. But they need to keep those numbers tighter. And demand is strong for the new crop. We're seeing that because of our um, biofuels industry uh, coming back to light. We're seeing strong exports yet overall. Feed demand remains strong. So the demand continues to be there. We just have the big question mark as far as how big this new crop is going to be. And again, it's all over the board as far as where these acres are going to end up on June 30th. Yeah, and that's going to be a big report here to watch in about a month. But uh, Naomi, let's take a look here at the live cattle markets. They sagged a little lower today. What was happening there? Is it just feed costs pushing markets lower? Um, yeah, a little bit of that. The cattle on feed report um, didn't really have too much to say. That came out Friday afternoon. Uh, the on feed number at 105, that was a little bit above the average estimate. The placement number at 127, above the average estimate marketed number at 133, right on the average estimate. So that cattle on feed report, though, um, you know, a little skewed because it compares to what things were a year ago during the, you know, the big uh, peak of COVID, essentially, and the industry was kind of in flux. So the the market is just trying to understand and figure out, you know, where do we have these animals mm -hmm. on feed? We're talking about how dry the pasture conditions have been. Were there more cattle coming to market because they were scared that the feed prices were going to be so high? So there's more product available for the short term, along with balancing just that long-term demand and the summer demand that is growing strong because we are coming out of COVID. So lots of moving parts there overall. The cattle market continues to consolidate. Um, I think we're going to continue to see that sideways price action for the short term. What I do like is that our weekly export sales have been you know, pretty solid overall. We had really good numbers last week, and our boxed beef values continue to be strong. Uh, last week, boxed beef finished out at 324. That was the highest since June of a year ago. So there's just a lot of mixed signals there, and a little bit of a tug of war as far as price option goes. Naomi, yeah. lastly, here, let's uh, wrap up and chat dairy markets. What's your outlook here for the next couple of months for the dairy industry? Uh, short term, a little bit negative. Uh, we just have still high production numbers for that dairy market. 
We had an April milk production report that was released last week, and it showed that production was at 3.3%. So that's that's a big increase. Um, cow numbers were up 16,000 head from March. So there, the thoughts that the herd had been you know, shrinking a little bit still uh, went right out the window, especially with those big production numbers out there. But now going forward, um, you know, we're still going to be in question of is the feed price so high that producers cut back on feed at all, which means that they ultimately would see lower production of milk. So we're going to we're curious to see if we see that as summer goes on. Um, but otherwise, we're keeping an eye on domestic demand for dairy products and the export market demand. Um, but really, quite frankly, that big production number is it's going to hang over the market for a little while. Fantastic. Naomi, before I let you go, if folks want to chat markets with you more in depth on social media or otherwise, how can they do so? Yeah, feel free to give me a call at uh, 800-334-9779. Or you can email me. My email address is naomi at totalfarmmarketing.com. Or just send me a message over Twitter. My handle is at Naomi Bloom. Fantastic. Naomi, well, thanks again for joining us today in Chat Markets. Certainly appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, a big thank you there again to Naomi for coming on and chatting markets with us. Folks, again, be sure you're following her on Twitter. She shares a lot of great commentary, insights, and just tweets about what's going on in the world of agriculture. But so do we. Make sure you're following along with Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.